0: Mm.
1: Did, did you invest? No. Good.
0: <laughs> that, it's a big ticket. <laughs> well, it was not a big ticket. Everyone <laughs> and their mom was reselling this thing, yeah, especially right. in Dubai. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to the Encrypted Podcast.
1: Encrypted is the Middle East's first and largest podcast dedicated to blockchain and crypto assets. I'm your host, Ahmed al bilaghi in this episode, we bring friends of the show to discuss relevant news items of the week. We look at what the US regulators had to say about stablecoins, how Fidelity is the latest company to obtain a crypto custodian license in New York, and we also dissect the latest China crypto crackdown. We also discuss Telegram's latest updates as some of our guests are secretly ton Schillers. Trust me, you don't want to miss this one. Also, I'd really like to thank those who have been supporting the show I remember you can support us in any way possible. You can subscribe, rate, and review the show, sharing the podcast on your social media and any other way you feel like supporting. And now onto the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Encrypted. Today we are joined by interesting guests. Before I introduce um, Nick, say hello. Hi guys, happy to be back. Yeah, you've, you have you're not always here by the way. That's true. Yeah, you never come with me when I travel. No. Yeah,
0: he, he's always the snake. Have yeah. you guys ever done remote recording sessions where one of you calls out on Skype or something like this? Uh, yeah, in like the those. UAE, not particularly yeah. very successful. There are <laughs> services that help you with that. I have no idea those what services. you're talking about. <laughs> I, <tried
2: it. laughs> Wait, I, I, I those? would mention the service I use. H- However, I feel everybody else would go and use it and then it would be useless. Right. So...
0: Everybody should use ExpressVPN. Yes, private internet access. That one is good too. Perfect. So you there, who said private internet access. Introduce yourself. Who are you? Hi, my name is Gary Sheckman. I am partner at late Ventures. We are a small venture capital firm backed by a local family. Good to be back. My second time with these lovely folks. First time in this configuration. Yeah. <laughs> and we also have Matt Hamilton, who's this is the second time you've been here
1: on the podcast. Say hello.
3: Yep. Hey, I'm
1: Matt Hamilton here. This is my second time as well. Yes.
3: I'm managing director of Loyal. We're a uh, San Francisco based enterprise software platform uh, focused on incentive management while leveraging blockchain technology.
1: All right. So, in today's podcast, we're actually going to be looking at news of the week, and we have a couple of new stories we want to look over. And the first news story that I found really interesting, and this is from coindesk.com. This is FinCEN stablecoin. Issuers are money transmitters no matter what. Essentially, the anti-money laundering regulator in the US has basically come out and said, whatever technology is used to facilitate money transmission services will be regulated by us, blockchain or not. And essentially... So one of the directors there said that just because using blockchain technology or stable coins, it basically means you have to come through us. Any issue interacting with the company would have to comply with AML procedures, KYC procedures, meaning that any USDT token essentially would have to be sort of KYC. Every single transaction, every single sort of, you know, wire per se would have to be recorded and potentially actually be given to Fincent to, to be looked at for anti money learning purposes and so I mean a lot of people I mean the common question is usually okay if we're in crypto why is the fact that you know we're, we're seeing a lot of regulation like this hampering in this space in terms of you know if I want to send money I don't want any regulators to be looking at that but I, I think this is actually a good thing because this could be a interesting on-ramp solution for crypto services because if you think about it if you were to have a USDT that a US backed token that was regulated, it's just easy to send these as a form of USD, as opposed to actually do just a wire transfer,
0: right? Um, I always found it strange that there were people in the industry, or voices in the industry, in in any case that didn't think this this was going to be a natural conclusion. You, you can't put the words digital or crypto or something in front of money, and then have it not work like money which is something that the government cares about being misused mm-hmm. right the, the thing that's actually weird is that we even need any kind of regulations or statements by by these guys you know theoretically you know if you're building anything that moves value around you should already comply with stuff that exists i mean we were just talking about before the program started you know Howie has been around for a long time and you know Generally, is very clear on what it is and isn't, and trying to skirt it is just a recipe for getting into eventual trouble. Yeah, I think putting the word blockchain
3: or crypto in front of something, it, it is what it is. It doesn't matter the technology mechanism; it matters the the function and the features. I think of what's happening, and if it's if it's moving value around, especially something as obvious as it's backed by dollars in the case of Tether. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had to have seen that coming. I mean, the only the only downside I see to this is we get away from one of the big things that crypto promised was the centralized control around a government or agency saying who can and cannot do business without each other. So I guess a great example of this would be Iran, Mm -hmm. for example. There's a lot of people that would argue what the US is doing as Iran is not in the best interest of the people
1: of Iran. And this kind of continues that pattern. One thing that I, I liked here was like, he used an analogy saying that, you know, if you say that you're a banana, it doesn't mean that you're an actual banana essentially going to say that, you know, people are trying to skirt regulations and skirt all, all these different things that they'd have to do if they want to do a particular activity. And so, I mean, for in, in terms of just looking at stable coins for the future and the future of stable coins, do you think that if this private form of money were to come into place and FinCEN would have to come in and regulate them, would a stable coin actually be approved? And if so, If it's for example, like a a tether, a US dollar backed one, will that also just sort of, you know, rid away, or at least increase competition for Swift?
0: Well, we have USDC, right? So, and that's, does that leave Coinbase at at any point in time or that it just lives there? And because Coinbase actually does proper KYC and AML, and they do a very good job of reporting everything you do to the IRS every year, you know, They don't have these problems magically come up. You know, you don't have regulators coming out and criticizing assets on their platform because they actually do the work. Yeah, I think this is about just keeping the policies,
3: but they want the data. They want to be able to to analyze transactions to see if there's AML, ATM Mm -hmm. things happening, right? This is this is what they're they're really looking to do. So I was getting back to the point I was talking before. I don't think that they're in the business of determining How these will be used or if this will be a competition for something else it's more a matter of they just want the data and the kyc to be done
1: yeah and what about the sort of the algorithmic decentralized form of stable coins so he even made a reference to maker and the fact that you could actually so like people are building these stable coins called Dai, and they'd have some sort of algorithmic function behind it where you could sort of collateralize your existing token holdings to generate some form of stable coin on the blockchain and that will always be backed by the USD. But because it's not sort of money in a bank backing that particular token, it's all done by smart contracts. How could that be regulated? Like that's something it's, I, yeah.
3: <laughs> it, I think it's at the end of the day, you could say the same thing about a lot of fiat currencies. You know, they're just a tax credit
1: at the end of the day. So, yeah, but why? fiat is more so issued by the government. Whereas these sort of stable coins like Maker yep.
0: are not. I think ultimately you will the easiest point of control for this is on an off-ramp right and so you can very you know with 100 certainty you can trace where crypto comes from that is the magic and immutability and blah 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 why we love it so much and so if a government actor wants to see you know, how you're on and off ramping and whether that's appropriate, they can get you there. You know, they don't need to necessarily control the DeFi world to do that. You know, they control the taps. You know, tomorrow, you know, they can go and make this whole show illegal by turning off the on-ramp. That's
3: the biggest risk for Bitcoin too, I think. If if everyone if has to pick a, how does Bitcoin feel? Governments can't turn it off, but they can very easily turn off the on and off ramps.
1: No, they can turn it off if they want to. Can't they just like deploy... As like long as there's two nodes times, somewhere writing. No, no, but they could they could deploy like 10 warehouses that mm. sort of just focuses fully on mining Bitcoin and they just do a oh, 51% attack. Oh, you're saying 51% attack with the government backing it. Just connected
0: to a nuclear power plant. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. Can, can we do that here?
0: I don't think, not yet, but as soon as there's a, <laughs> a nuclear power plant here, we
3: probably could. But yeah. even if you assume it gets big enough so yeah. that that was not a possible scenario,
1: they mm. could still just block
3: it. All they have to do is make it illegal to onboard and offboard, and it kills it. It won't kill it, kill it, but it's not going to be ten thousand dollar Bitcoin anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, an OTC cash transactions would go through the roof. Yeah,
2: this money remittance, money transfer, transfer. This mm. is on fiat based or on anything where value is moved. When it's stable, coins. Re- stable coins, stable coins, stable coins. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah.
3: I mean, even the idea of some of these—they aren't backed by a currency. They're backed by a basket of goods. Even the idea behind Facebook's coin, there, right? I mean, Libra is based on a Collateralized mm-hmm. assets, so it's it's not just U.S. dollars.
2: So a funny one. This is good for you, Matt, because you don't like this one. Loyalty stable, and backed, and on the books. It's sort of back if you're issuing a loyalty, thing you're guaranteeing they can be used for certain services in return. Maybe only with you. It's like fiat. So, it's like a government issue So, so things, uh, like
0: is that a stable coin? This is a live because it's a li- it's a liability on your books, right? Yes. Yeah. So it's it is a liability. And it's in an, a issue. promise books. to owe, which yes.
2: is mm-hmm. technically what money. Really is, the is someone It's a, for a form of fiat, and that's yeah.
3: how they see it. Most of these loyalty programs see themselves as currency issuers. Yeah. So, but only for a closed group.
1: <laughs> because of technicalities
3: but I mean, they are KYC. Everyone's KYC in the sense that you know who your member is, who's earning the points, in this and. But I don't think that this is what FinCEN going after. Yeah. yeah. I think eventually loyalty or corporate issued currencies will call them because that's what loyalty points are. Yeah. Absolutely, they're going to be, they're going to be regulated much more strictly than they are today. And I think new technologies like blockchain, I mean, this is one thing Loyal's looking to do is make it much easier to interoperate between different loyalty program currencies. And once you start doing these things, the idea becomes, why can't I launder money through a loyalty currency if it's easy to onboard then send it back to my family and go through telecoms or other different partners? It's it's something that's going to be looked at
1: eventually, Mm -hmm. for sure. Did you guys have to think about that when deploying Loyal? So it's
3: not, the regulatory side, we don't touch. We enable the mechanisms to be able to move value around between different program operators or partners mm-hmm. and members within the loyalty ecosystem, but we don't touch anything to do with settlement, which means once the points are moved around, if you want, uh, so if, say, Air Miles issues points to a hotel group and the hotel group then wants to invoice, we don't actually handle the cash move between the invoicing that's settlement, of so the actual point transfer. Mm. That's where you have to get into the regulatory and uh, FinCEN type stuff. So one day we may have to. This may change the loyalty landscape as, we over. I don't know, as new technology comes on board, this might be something that we have to look into,
1: but today we're not. Interesting. Cool. So the next article that we're going to be looking at is with the trust license, Fidelity Eyes, new client opportunities, and an expansion of its crypto trading platform. This is from the block. And essentially, Fidelity's crypto unit is the latest custodian to secure a license from the New York State to operate a trust. And this basically allows them to custody their clients. Bitcoin assets allows them to also trade in-house, just basically buy and sell orders. And I think this is the 24th charter that the that the New York State has actually given to allow them to basically take custody of, of crypto assets. And I think the fact that just fidelity just coming in, like given its brand, given its name, just goes to show that institutional money could be coming in. I mean, they wouldn't be doing this if, you know, if there was no support or no demand from their clients, right?
0: I love this kind of news. We're, we're an investor into a regulated custodian company in, in the U.S. And every time I hear, you know, one of the major financial institutions are starting to dip their toes in, mm. uh, and this is, you know, fairly serious dip. This puts a smile on my face hey i think whether or not institutions are coming soon enough for us to kind of make short-term trades on it i i don't know but remember these guys have to invest for years into infrastructure that they will then use to service their clientele right so yes as institutions are coming it's just it's never as fast as people think it is yeah i think think just takes away two of
3: the, the I guess, various entry for institutions. One of them is having a big name that can, I guess, secure as a custodian for the assets, and the other is access to new liquidity pools. Mm. That's one of the biggest things for digital assets is lack of liquidity. So as big partners like this come on board, they provide new
2: access to new liquidity pools. I, I just like they've chosen New York. Well, it makes sense. Yeah. But it's good to see this type of thing growing a little bit more in New York. Seems that like they're a bit late to the party. they were early to the party. They put the wrong rules in place, and now
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's oh, yeah, that true. They true. were very yeah.
3: early to the party. Very yeah. early with the wrong right. rules. Yeah,
2: right. And very, now very late with maybe what looks like the right
1: rules because they're going after big money mm. type management and value. And what's interesting is the managing director of the sort of digital assets um, of Fidelity, he basically like reinteresting really interesting quote, which said institutions want to do business with other institutions, basically implying that everything else is just a Mickey Mouse game.
0: I don't oh. want to name any names, but... <laughs> oh, but for... For big boy New York banks, everything is a Mickey Mouse game. yeah. Because, Mm. I mean, I'm in venture capital and I'm a rounding arrow of an asset class compared to what these guys trade on a daily basis. I guess the argument there is
3: then why, I mean, for the the Bitcoin and Ethereum proponents that are listening to this podcast, why would they come in and heavily get into Bitcoin and Ethereum given that they're so, so highly... There's very few owners of these coins, and they aren't the owners of banks. So the people that have all Bitcoin, which are going to be the the people that are gaining from this new institutional money coming on board, why would they focus in asset classes that are giving so much money away? I guess by coming into it. Well, what do you mean? By so I mean- if if I'm a, if I'm piling my institutional investors' money into Bitcoin, whereas 95 percent of Bitcoin is held by say, you know two or three hundred wallets out there that are people that are not my banking clients. Mm-hmm. Why am I pushing assets into those asset
1: classes? Maybe because they realized the significance of Bitcoin and the fact that it's finite itself and so they just want to get into the action.
0: Yeah, it's also, you know, if you if there's any space, you know, the banking and legal professions will find a way to occupy it. And so <laughs> if, right, if there is an asset class and it exists, there's going to be bankers to trade it and lawyers to paper it up. So this is a sign that finally the asset class is of significant enough size and stability for them to take interest And in the fact that it's nascent is fine and they'll start and then expand in it. I love you bankers and lawyers, you guys <laughs> yeah. are great. Why, why lawyers? Uh, well, because everything needs them, You know, including crypto. You know, right? So anytime that there is a transaction, there are escrow agreements, purchase agreements, if this is an investment, even into a tokenized asset, you know, there's still some sort of a token slash share purchase. And even though the language around these documents will mm-hmm. change, mm-hmm. they will still exist. And, you know, we all want to see a future where those documents become smart contracts, but someone still needs to write them in a way that complies with regulations of wherever those smart contracts exist. Arguably lawyers were the biggest winner to this whole crypto yes, was and blockchain
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, enterprise, yeah. I totally agree. And another thing about Fidelity and them bringing on board sort of their clientele and bringing sort of the, the institutional money that they're exposed to, do you think this opens up an avenue for them to be sort of that crypto business that, for example, Binance is trying to aspire to be? Do, do you foresee them being that, all in one, you know, bespoke go to place to get any crypto exposure. I, don't, I mean, they're not the only. I mean, Bact obviously just came into mm. this, but ahead of them with the yeah. same
3: license, I believe, uh, two months ago. Yeah. I think um,
1: to have like an, an exchange one as well. Of course. Fidelity don't. Uh, my, I don't it know. Maybe the other way around, actually. Actually, to no, have the exchange yeah. license, but I don't know about Fidelity. I'm pretty sure Fidelity has too. Okay. I Fidelity
3: f- has something that back doesn't.
1: I forget what it was, but they were talking
3: about it actually in, in the release. Anyway, we can drop that, but there's, there's obviously competition out there. Yeah, no, of course. I don't think there's going to be the one. Yeah. There's always, And a lot of people, I mean, everyone loves the ease of use of Binance. Everyone loves the ease of use of Coinbase. Well, most do. <laughs> so I think uh, there's definitely a, a core group of people that got into this space to not be part of Fidelity and not be part of the New York Stock Exchange, or owns.
0: So well, with Binance, there's always going to be you know, the whole China angle side of it for, for US investors. But, you know, I always said that Chase buys Coinbase uh, or Coinbase gets to a size of where it's too too expensive for a bank to, to buy in. But I just don't see a reason why a large bank wouldn't eventually buy one of these large players that have been working mm-hmm. by the book. And that's that has properly US structured. And that's been very careful around uh, what's happening on their platforms.
1: Makes sense. Like a Gemini
0: maybe or yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's tough to predict. You know, yeah. th- the M and A cycle for these guys. But when it gets interesting enough, some institutions will Wasn't go and build their own, and others will buy.
3: Wasn't Circle acquired, or at least the majority acquired by somebody? Well, Goldman, Goldman Sachs. Yeah. Goldman, yeah. Okay. So we're already seeing that activity then.
1: And uh, are you as well, like as a VC,
0: looking into sort of M and A in this space as well? So. We look at two kinds of companies in the space. One is developer tool sets mm-hmm. and financial services tool sets. So custody is interesting, ability to create applications like Loyal for engineers. And I think that for the next cycle or two of, of venture capital, which is, you know, these half decade sprints plus, mm-hmm. we're going to see MA as the path to exit for these guys yeah. because the public markets aren't going to be receptive to the companies aren't just going to grow to a public company size. Yeah. But there is a ton of value as an early stage investor to be extracted as banks are building the infrastructure of quote unquote tomorrow. Makes sense. On the flip side, could Coin, Coinbase is big enough to go public? They wanted to want basically
3: yeah. Binance makes more money than Deutsche Bank probably <laughs>
1: <laughs> But
0: do they but do they want to? Do they need to? You know Coinbase can. Binance Why would they open I, I don't why would they me. But why why would
2: Bobo go in public? Well
0: the liquidity for investors. Yeah, that's the reason right. to go public is for that's, an exit. that's that's on the Coinbase side, right? But Binance, who's a you know, who are the owners? Do they need to generate liquidity on their books? I don't think
1: they would want to open themselves to. Yes, they
0: definitely do not want that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, knowing how um, I don't want to say too much, but knowing how they operate, yeah, they they wouldn't want to expose too much, yeah, because then everything would be public. They'd be way like just rounds and rounds of paper that they probably probably wouldn't want to do.
3: I suppose the only reason they would even
1: consider it is if this I mean
3: WeWorks kinda flopped the whole valuation yeah. thing that was going on. But if if we saw a trend of valuations, they may get a very, very good valuation yes. just because of people's understanding of the excitement around surrounding them. But given what's happened just recently, in the turn of these valuations, I, I very much doubt it.
0: I, you know, I also think that it would be extremely good and healthy for one of these major exchanges, on ramps, stablecoin issuers, to be public mm-hmm. because then the markets will know how to price it. Yes, um, yeah. and there will be a whole lot of adoption on on the mainstream because all of a sudden, you know the nasdaq they're in new york they're ringing the bell Mm. they're they're doing all this stuff and all of a sudden it's not a fringe nerd thing Mm. it is now a way that large companies transact there
1: there is one bank called silvergate that did also go public and they're they're a sort of a crypto focused bank Mm. i don't know if you guys heard of it never know yeah they've just been like very quiet just servicing all their clients were they based on it Out of the U.S. Okay. Yeah. They listed, I think, on NASDAQ, if I'm not mistaken.
3: When you say crypto services, are they
1: focused on providing banking for crypto companies? Okay. Yeah. 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 And yeah, they've been around for quite some time. They've just been, they've very stable business and they've gone public. So yeah. And even talking about like in terms of like going IPO, I don't know if you guys heard of Bitmain's main competitor, Canon. So, they're basically another Chinese mining company, and they're basically about to go IPO as well. So, there's several mining exchanges. There's
3: HUD 8, there's Hive. They're both listed Mm. on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Okay. So, these are both large mining
1: operators that are publicly traded. Okay. All right. But that's just the Toronto Stock Exchange. Yeah. I think that's just the Toronto Stock Exchange.
2: I think it's cleaner to be a a miner than it is to be an exchange. It's, It's so
1: cleaner. Yeah. So,
2: it's hardware and output.
1: Yeah, that's that's so true, and, and it's you're just, just minting virgin
2: coins.
3: There's no have to worry about yeah. where do they come from, and now like the yeah. KYC
2: associated with that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now that that's like if that's what we should have gone into, right? Like we should have just done mining. I tried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We we could do another episode on that, just mining timing, stories, right? Timing uh, okay. killed it.
3: Yeah. Ah, oh, damn.
1: Long story. We actually raised
3: um, seven million dollars out of Australia for a mining project, but um, it got shut down by the exchange there because it was a change of business and the market fell out. It was when Bitcoin actually crushed through six thousand, so we lost funding.
1: Damn, the nice timing. All right. So next up, the next article to we'll look at is China crypto crackdown elicits Binance, Tron, Weibo appeal. So essentially what happened, I'm sure you guys know, President Xi in China came out about a month ago and said, we need to use blockchain in government and in business. And a couple of days later, there was just sort of a huge spike in blockchain searches online. But also what happened, the speculative activity that we saw in 2017 sort of was slowly coming again in, in China, back in Shanghai and in Beijing and crypto conferences started coming out. So so that was basically Matt just, you know, having having a little break with Skittles. That, that that crackling noise because of him. It's all good. <laughs> Delicious. Um, anyhow, so Taste the Rainbow <laughs> <laughs> What are these white Skittles? I couldn't find any white Skittles. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Essentially, because of this sort of speculative activity that was happening, many people started organizing conferences within days, President Xi announces. And so a couple of days, actually a week back, the Shanghai government came out with a notice saying that we want all the local agencies in all these districts in Shanghai to look for any companies that are doing any crypto related trading companies or activities, anyone doing promotion of ICOs, anyone doing any raising of tokens, they basically had like some criteria and they said, we need to be informed so that we could go and check with the central bank. And then from speaking with a couple of local sources on the ground, some friends who actually work for some companies could work from home only. Like you can't go to the office, right? And so it's like currently Shanghai is like there's a standstill coming to these things. And so and what's funny is that if you look at Binance and Tron's Weibo accounts, Weibo is like the Twitter of China, they got shut down for no reason. But Huobi and OKX, which are based in Beijing, they're like, fine, nothing's happening to them. It's all good. And that's probably because they're not only based in Beijing, but they've had they've been so long in the game that they've managed to get the political sort of political influence and political capital to assist them. But what what's I think the the takeaway from all of this is that China is still pro-blockchain and just totally against crypto.
0: Why wouldn't a government like China be really pro against an immutable digital record of everything you do? Sounds sounds great. You know, I, I think one of the fears that I think, you know, people should have around like the technology that ultimately was supposed to unshackle us is mm. we get to this magical moment where government fiat currency is kind of fully crypto and then you have a government like china that will go and implement credit scoring and you have a situation where for example if i don't have enough if i don't have good enough social credit mm. i can't transact with certain kind of institutions or i cannot eat at certain restaurants or i mm. you know you you crypto enables that control in a fundamentally different way than the way it's currently done. I think
3: semantics speaking there wouldn't not crypto fiat currency but when they use distributed ledger enabled right. cryptocurrency so programmable money yes. essentially which they can then they can program logic onto this money. It's a lot of powerful things they could do with that a lot of good things. I mean central monetary policy where you can actually control where the money flow goes from monetary mechanism standpoint that's super powerful. But if you think of that in a way of China having their own central currency and the data attached with that, it runs into Gary's scenario there. We think about a black mirror situation where uh, they can literally control your access to having anything.
1: Yeah, so essentially, where that money flow goes as well, it's like you could spend it here, but you can't spend it there. It's like mm-hmm. you have gone above this weight, so you can't go buy McDonald's. Oh, right, if we take this, to, I was just going to say they could take a healthcare case. If you don't, <laughs> yeah. if you have
3: if you're a heart risk condition, and they yeah. think that's a cost base for the the government insurance companies. They could literally make so you can't use your card at fast food restaurants. It could be, wow. and I don't see that I'd as being that, literally
0: that far. I not
1: think about this till now. That's crazy.
0: Oh, oh, if you're if you don't put a certain amount of your monthly paychecks into a savings account, your credit reduces on your card. I mean, there's all sorts of fun things you can do. <laughs> yeah, dynamic interest rates based on your, <laughs> what, <laughs> your what, what, if, if you were
1: the, the Chinese central bank,
0: what would you do? What would be one of these logic? All of them. <laughs> um, the dynamic interest rates is a really good one. man. it's a really easy one to implement. You know, look at credit cards today. I mean, if you have kind of these newfangled ones like with Apple, or you're plugging them into mm. Clarity or one of these apps to go and look at your transaction history, and they help you budget, the technology is already there. We, we, we already know how to do that. Just a matter of implementation. And yeah, travel websites tailor pricings to you now based on have you already booked a
3: hotel room so you're committed to traveling here do we know if you're traveling for business they're, they're already doing this kind of stuff when you put that in the hands of a government and when you give them access to multiple different data feeds it has the power to be very dangerous for sure
2: Let's go i and just want to clarify who will be can still communicate kind of yeah they debate them being shut down that, yeah and the exchange is operating outside of china it's not operating inside China because cryptocurrency
1: is not... Well, they, of course, have offices in China. Uh-huh. So the thing is, what was interesting here, that this notice of, was from the Shanghai government. So it was just activity based in Shanghai, and there is a lot of activity based in Shanghai. With Beijing, they haven't done something like this. But, I mean, like the, the fact that they wouldn't impose the same measures that they did with Binance and Tron onto exchanges like, you know, Hobi and and OKCoin or even others just goes to show you know who they're kind of siding with and who, who, who i like
2: not. i like the fact that the chinese government is now protecting exchanges that are in china how they're protecting by not blocking them it's a whole different way of protection <laughs> binance was born in china exited china yeah anybody who's still in china is not being stopped from communicating no i don't think you could i don't what know will be? what are the yeah. if their accounts not blocked Okay. It means they're protected.
1: The thing is, is that you could on on Hobi, if you were to go on Hobie now and trade, you you could only buy OTC. There's like an online mm-hmm. platform you buy OTC, but it's not like a trading mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the point still stands. Yeah. yeah, yeah no. Everybody
2: knows what they're doing. Yeah. Everybody knows what Binance is doing. Yeah.
1: Except Binance is but, not but in China. Binance is in
2: Malta. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's the point. They, 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 they just have the, offices the, based in China. No, but it's in interesting. If you look at it yeah. from a different point of view, the government is supporting. But not implicitly saying it. They're saying blockchain. They're not saying crypto. Yeah. But they're protecting their internal entities that are related to crypto by not by not having them blocked.
1: Yeah, I mean, if 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 this if you think about it, if this industry is sort of supporting how many thousands of workers or yeah. Well, but they're also they trying to make everything sense as, as well.
2: It's very likely that something's going on where they are seeing what's happening inside Huawei, but they can't inside Binance and the others that have now been stopped.
1: Yeah. And and that's what I'm Which saying. Which is why I mean, they've stopped them because yeah. they
2: don't have that control. Like we're talking about the citizen management bureau, <laughs> let's call it. Uh, they they th- so this this is an interesting one because mm. does if you take it from that t- tact, doesn't it mean that maybe you should go back into China mm. and start providing a little more transparency about what you're doing as an organization?
1: Of course, you know the industry.
0: You know your industry is now. Good enough and interesting enough when governments get into protectionism, right? Like this is, this is a good thing.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: boom time. So, so what's next then? What what's the
1: next like billion dollar idea then? Right, like I mean, so a natural follow on from Gary's question. So Gary's statement: the next billion dollar blockchain idea, crypto no, idea. Uh, well, something related to it. If the government's all in, Chinese government, we're talking about, right? Right. China, well, most governments are all in, but the Chinese government. I think basically. for China, it's an infrastructure play. Think
3: of it the same way as electricity. In order for blockchain really to function, even when loyal, we talk to our clients, the real powerful benefits of liability management and being able to to have marketing capabilities come when every single partner mm. is also reading it right into the same shared ledger. The infrastructure is nowhere near that now. Mm. So this is this is what we really had to see built first. It's the power lines have to go up. And then you can start putting these powerful but, services on top of them. But Everyone the, building infrastructure back mm-hmm. to the 17, or what would, they, what would they call them? The infrastructure plays like the NEOs and the Qtums and stuff. I don't think it had the right, they never had the right ability to be able to do what mm. they
1: tried to do. But would these infrastructures be a, I mean, th- there'd be no price attached to it. I mean, w- would, there, would it be a semi-government entity doing this? Would it be a fully controlled government entity doing this? Or will it be sort of a startup which is VC and government backed and it's sort of the, the clear winner from day one?
3: I see it being an ecosystem of many different players and entities to make it work. I think every, every group is going to be getting involved. But I, monetizing the infrastructure actual is, infrastructure
1: yeah. is... Uh, because the, the, yeah. the, I mean in crypto VC, I mean speaking to like a couple of investors in the past couple of weeks, they're saying we actually want tokens because there's no upside in equity. There's only upside in infrastructure because there are tokens. Like that has been the feedback of most Asian investors. <laughs> so they see no way to monetize the they see uh, no because is it's that revenue
2: for the um startup?
1: Well the liquid fast liquidity from tokens. Because that that from an infrastructure point of view. And I mean, in the U.S., when I was in San Francisco, no, equity was still preferred. But I spoke to a couple of European VCs and I was surprised. They said, no, we actually prefer tokens because of the false equity. You, and want, because of potential you upside.
0: want the tokens if it's an infrastructure play. Yeah, but if the token is just a byproduct of creating a really valuable company, <laughs> you, you want the company. I mean, I I don't know. In all of the companies that we look at, we generally like to be the cap table. We like ownership and we like the control and the governance that that comes with that, mm. because that's a big part of you know being an investor is protecting your clients' money. Um, yeah. I think tokens are great if they are you know dot orgs, right? So if you are backing a a new cycle of an Ethereum or a Tezos or Bitcoin, and you're taking a punt on a bunch of researchers doing something new, yeah, I think that could be a really good investment strategy. But, you know, these things are still made by people and they need to be organized and, and funded mm-hmm. in some way. So, you know, I don't think it's one way or the other. I think the really savvy investors will look at, you know, is there an exchange of kind of money that's happening? Yet, and in that case you're probably building equity value, or if it's primarily research oriented and you're going to make a protocol, then yeah, you want the tokens.
1: Mm, absolutely. And this is why I mean, looking at from if China were to build that actual infrastructure, what would it consist of? Would it consist of, you know, a hyperledger or like a Chinese hyperledger sort of thing? It consists where- of WeChat just building their own chain eventually look, a
2: whole bunch of this is is oh. regulatory stuff i, I think that's <laughs> i the know slowest so it's, piece. yeah, yeah. So to me i mean
3: look what we're doing at a, at a level here is we're we're digitizing assets mm-hmm. that's what this is at the end of the day it's digitizing their meta representations of the physical world mm-hmm. is what we're doing or putting it on a shared ledger so it's a whole bunch of this comes around to the legal side mm-hmm. when you're i mean a lot of people talk about tokenizing real estate what you're actually doing is you're tokenizing the ownership of the real estate. It's more a legal contract that's being mm-hmm. tokenized. It's the rights associated with it are being tokenized. So uh, this is, comes back to Gary's point earlier, the lawyers are going to have a lot of work in the yeah. upcoming years as much as the uh, technologists are.
0: The the thing that's the end state that we're all looking for are right, like title deeds that live on the blockchain, right? But which blockchain? Does it have to be on the three top Chains as an anchored asset based on market cap mm. at any given time to be recognized as an actual title deed, for example, or is it going to be gov chain where every government basically has their own and it is, you know, proof of work, nuclear powered, or something like this? Or it's anchored to Bitcoin, or or it's anchored <laughs> to Bitcoin, and and so then they're saying, great, if it's on our blockchain, then then yes, and you know, we we see what that looks like. Uh, and will it be a situation where the big countries are ultimately competing for being the system of record? And so, you know, it's going to be NATO chain or something like that.
1: Cool. That's interesting. I guess one more thing we could sort of d- dabble
0: into just before before we close off. Or in, in the U.S. it could have it be freedom chain.
1: Freedom. freedom chain. Oh, no, please no. Please no. <laughs> what, what? What? How is it free in the U.S.?
0: Because it's in the US,
1: and you put the words
2: "freedom" in it, and th- that just and that's, that's it. of course, yeah, that's it. Of course.
1: That's it. freedom for us. <laughs> Tell us about Ton. What's
3: going on? Why is it looking at me for Ton?
1: <laughs> I'm looking at both of you. Ah, uh, so ton. so we have uh, two two shillers it. of Ton, and those who are eyeing are the the shillers.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't call myself a shiller. Yeah, we're not shillers. shillers. Yeah, we're uh,
3: believers. Look, Lark- I think coming into what everyone knew they were gonna come into. They for everybody who doesn't know what Ton is, it's Telegram open networks token that they launched. They raised one of the most successful ICOs, I think it was 1.8 billion approximately. They raised from institutional money. It was sent out in chunks of about forty million dollars per investor. The SEC just recently came to them weeks before they were gonna launch a token and they basically put a halt order on them and I don't know if it's a subpoena or what they did, but they they demanded a response from them saying they did an illegal token issuing. So they raised money for a security, essentially what they're calling it. Telegram last week responded to that with a response basically disagreeing with the SEC's charge, saying they're going to fight this, saying that the Howey test is not clear enough for them or for digital assets, which is a hard one to stand on. But they followed that up with a couple other points, such as, we only raised money from institutional investors, and we did so under a form, Reg D, that they filed with the SEC. They're also arguing that they will not, I think, don't quote me on this one, but I think they're saying they won't be selling tokens to the public in the United States. How they blocked that i don't know but i guess ip access or something so this is what they're standing on with their lawyers and that's that's all we know i think it's february the court date set for this but this is drastically pushed back because it was supposed to be launched to the very latest by and they're 30th. ready
2: and it's already it's just that they worry about the secondary market which is the big issue You have 1.8 billion dollars worth of tokens to be given over a period of time and then a certain amount of secondary exit for those investors and obviously the SEC is coming in. I wonder what they're coming in for now, last minute.
3: What's really interesting is that everyone was so focused on Facebook's Libra. And Ton was just in the background actually building because they was already great. raised. And they it was essentially the same thing. I mean, they were building a very similar product, mm. just not asset-backed. So, yeah. and so it would be backed by the network it's backed by the same as all the other utility tokens okay. as they referred to the port it's backed yeah. by the network
1: then it should yes. be backed by they should have backed it by a group of assets it would have been clever I think I
3: mean, well, that
1: would leave the
2: liability with telegram to yeah, manage that right. centralize yeah, it so yeah. they don't want to do they that they just wanted a whole bunch of free money they timed it perfectly if you give them mm-hmm. one thing they timed it perfectly <laughs> so they took, had, a, they took a little bit of time on the developer if they had deployed earlier they probably wouldn't they've already got out before the SEC started to realize what the hell's going on. And I think with Facebook, that might have woken up the SEC a little bit more as well and created a little more internal buzz about, wow, man, if Facebook is going out and then you've got this com- this this chat app that has 300 yeah. million people and predominantly 80% of them are crypto people and blockchain people on that chat app, then it creates a lot of momentum that would happen. Mm. Did, did you invest?
0: No. Good. <laughs> that... It's a big ticket. <laughs> well, it was not a big ticket. Everyone and their mom was reselling this thing, yeah, especially right. in Dubai. Uh, it's like, hey, I got, I got some ton. Hey, yeah. you want, you want to buy like twenty dollars worth for a hundred? Uh, it was, it was completely ridiculous. But generally, I, I did not like the level of transparency in the organization, and so I didn't have an interest. And I think, look, if you're, you know, writing. The $40 million check or, or higher, you might have had access to the organization to see what they were up to yeah, um, and have conversation with leadership. And you can make a reasonable estimation of risk. But I think as someone that writes much smaller tickets than $40 million mm-hmm. a pop, um, I did not have enough information to feel comfortable to make the recommendation to our investors.
3: To, to your point that you just made too, and I, I I don't think the SEC even considered this in their case, but most of these people that took that $40 million, they resold. Those tokens and got their $40 million back, and they're just going to carry the other half. So they doubled the price, sold it out to the market, kept the other half, and then they're going to just, they already covered their cost base. So, so, so zero how risk much was
1: the the base price that these guys got, and how mm-hmm. much was it? This is up for debate. Yeah, okay. there was about <laughs> 35 yeah, cents. It's all hearsay, but yeah, I think
3: it was around 35 okay. to 38 cents. And then they did a second round. Which Friends was, and
2: family was 35, 38. Yeah. Because yeah. it was
3: vested. It was a two-year vest. There was, there's to vest periods yeah. over 18 months or two years or whatever. And then they did a second round, which is supposed to be free trading as of October 30th, but it never launched. So <laughs> that was more expensive. That was a, around a dollar, wasn't it?
2: Well, yeah. We, we, we don't know the, the full transparency, but yeah, there is some transparency of those 35, 35, 38 cents got sold into the market for 75 cents during the round. Of course, that's not allowed. Primary holders, I have to be the primary holders, but you see now being listed two months ago. Yeah, in of Japan, um, four dollars selling off selling them them. Uh, Telegram. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They were selling.
3: They were selling. So they were selling contracts, futures. Exactly, futures on Ton for four dollars per.
2: So um, per they, they got because they got custodianship backed by contracts that do not allow for <laughs> that to happen. Yeah, so, yeah, literally it says, if you read the actual staff
3: agreement, it says you cannot resell these tokens. Telegram cover themselves, but yet exchanges are allowing you to sell future contracts on them.
0: Yeah, wow. I mean, never underestimate financial engineering. I yeah. mean, I, I remember there was a cottage industry back in the crazy Uber growth days of finding underperforming funds where Uber was the only good investment and buying into the LP, issuing debt, there's all of these ways because you couldn't transfer the shares, and so there was an industry created basically to go around share transfer restrictions mm. just to get onto the cap table.
2: Interesting. Wow. Yeah. It will happen. It's yeah. when you put refriction in place, somebody will find a way around it because they assume everybody else can't find a way. And if you yeah. do find it, then you're going to be very, very well off. Yeah.
1: Well, well, it's like in this industry, it's meant to remove the middleman, but there's just new oh. middlemen replacing. Oh. Right, the ultimate middleman. Same. Oh, it's <laughs> more legal need than ever, too. Yeah. I and mean, the lawyers are the
3: ultimate middleman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, a smart contract—the simplest form—is an escrow. Yeah, we need lawyers more than ever in these every single negotiation people are doing for the OTC side of these things. So,
1: cool. All right, thank you so much, guys, for coming on. Is there any last words that you guys wanted to add? Freedom. Freedom. Say it. Freedom. <laughs> Freedom, guys. That's that's the ultimate goal. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you still haven't subscribed to the podcast, please make sure you do. And don't forget to rate the podcast and leave us a review because it helps people find us even more. So thanks once again.